This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is our Monday, January 13, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and we're now into the third trading week of the new year. And we continue to see a lot of volatility, uh, but mainly to the upside. <laughs> you know, volatility, <clears throat> many times, investors only think of it as to the downside. But if you understand the option market, there's such thing as called implied volatility. And what that means is the percentage odds that it's going to go up or down uh, a certain percent over the next month, two months, etc. So that's up or down. And that's what volatility means. It's up or down. So remember that. Now, throughout the past year, Steve and I spent a good deal of time helping to get your investment strategies aligned with your risk tolerance and your goals. And this is an ongoing process and you can continue to work towards your goals of financial freedom. And that's what we are here to do in the new decade and new year as well. So I'm glad you're listening today and you are in good company for each of the last four months of 2019. The Invest Talk podcast downloads average 450,000 each month. So I know you are telling your friends and family members and we appreciate that. I'm Justin Klein and I hope you will call me with your investing investing questions today. Remember our goal here on Invest Talk is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. Whatever that means to you. We want to make you a better investor, a better saver, just more financially savvy as a whole and we're going to do that each and every weekday with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, just like we do at KPP Financial. Now, our anytime listener line is open right now, so I'm taking your calls. That number is 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So feel free to give us a call, whether live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or after hours, leave a message, and we will answer it on a future show. Now, we have pro- you probably heard that Steve will be in... Dallas, Texas on the 24th, and then back in New York City on the 28th and 29th of this month. So it's a Friday in Dallas, and then Tuesday, Wednesday in New York City. So if you want to set up a meeting with him, I think he has a couple, one or two slots left in each city. So hurry up before his schedule fills up. These are in-person appointments, and they're offered at no cost, no obligation. Basically, you sit down. Steve goes over your portfolio, your strategy your accounts, your goals, your plan, and helps you fine-tune it and find ways to improve it, and maybe that's having KPP help, or it's just maybe some uh, direction that you need. So that's something that Steve does, and you can sign up. Go over to investtalk.com and click on the portfolio review page. Now, my main talking point today concerns a story. In many areas, renting is more affordable than buying, and there's a common factor. And we're going to talk about what that is. So that's our main discussion point for the day. Also, we had a report out this morning on the budget deficit. We've been talking about that for a while. And we are now, officially, for 2019, 
the U.S. government had a deficit of over a trillion dollars for the first time in many years, and we're going to touch on that and what that projects like going forward and what that means for policy out of government as well as our Federal Reserve. And then what are your realist, What should your realistic expectations be for your 401k? And then lastly, the Fed is on hold for now. What does that mean for markets as well as the future path of rate policy? So we're going to touch on all of these things today, hopefully, if we have time. I know I don't typically get to all of them, but I'm going to do my best. But what's most important is what is on your mind and what are you thinking about? What are you considering? Is it a particular area of the marketplace, an, uh, an asset class, maybe bonds, corporate bonds, emerging market bonds, maybe it's gold, maybe it's small cap stocks, whatever it is, we are open to your questions about money or finance. So please give us a call, 888-989-CHART. Now let's look at the market today. We had a pretty bullish day overall. Definitely on the NASDAQ and the, the S&P. Yeah, it was a, a pretty decent update. Not giant, but uh, we had a lot of tech stocks on the back of, once again, more liquidity in, going into the system. And that's certainly helping a lot of the tech stocks rebound from their kind of third and fourth quarter uh, malaise, or at least uh, you know into the early third or fourth quarter. So kind of the September, October time frame, you saw growth stocks kind of languish and, and start to roll over. And as soon as the market realized that, hey, the Fed's going to be printing massive amounts of money again, it looks like we're off to the races, at least for now, at least for now. Let's, let's jump into our caller question, Voice Bank. And here's a question that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Tyler from Phoenix, Arizona. This is about Arista Networks, N-E-T. I like uh, what this company is doing long term. I was just hoping you guys could provide some insight on the uh, fundamentals and uh, perhaps a, uh, a good buy point. It looks like it's uh, it's starting to trend upwards, and uh, I thought about picking up a you know starting a position in this uh, in an Arista Networks, but uh, just thought I'd get you guys' thoughts. Thanks. Bye. All right, looking at Arista Networks provides cloud networking software, hardware for internet cloud, and next-gen data centers. This is one of those good examples of cloud names, growth names that really fell on hard times uh, in the third and fourth quarter of last year. Hit a high in April of about $325 a share and hit a low in, let's see, when was this? October, late October of about $175 a share. So down pretty dramatically over that time period, and now we're at 211, looks like 211 at the close today. So certainly rebounding, and this is a company whose growth has been slowing. Two years ago, revenue was up 43%, earnings were up you know, in the 60 to 70% range, and last quarter we only had revenue up 16% and earnings up 27%. So what it looks like to me is that their market is maturing, either uh, the, the space that they they hold within the cloud market is saturated, you know, maybe their niche, or they have competition. So I don't know enough about the dynamics of Arista Networks and et cetera to really comment on that, but I would look into that. What is the issue here? Why is growth slowing? Is it just the fact that they're the size of their 
addressable market is near capacity? Is it just simply a law, law of large numbers, right? Because you can't grow more than the economy for ever. Otherwise, you become the economy. So there's always a level where your market tails off. So what is this growth slowdown that's happening now? And is that going to maybe level off here around the, you know, in the teens on revenue growth and in the 20, mid-20s on earnings growth? If that levels off, I think the stock rebounds because it's not that expensive. It's not cheap. Definitely not cheap. $16 billion market cap, $13 billion enterprise value means they have a lot of cash in their balance sheet. Enterprise value to EBIT is 15, not crazy high, not crazy low either. So I'm okay with the valuation if this doesn't turn into a negative growth situation or even a single digit growth situation. If you're going to get down in the single digits on growth or worse, this is a company that will probably reprice back into the you know, 8 to 10 range on enterprise value to EBITDA. We're now it's at the 15. So you'll see more downside most likely if that's going to happen. And analysts are expecting actually that to happen. Earnings are expected to drop 5% next year. So what's happening here is the, are the margins being squeezed because of, of competitive factors? What is causing the slowdown? I need to get a deeper dive into the company and be able to project, project more accurately where this growth trajectory is headed. So once again, if it can stabilize here or improve, I think this is fantastic. If it's going to continue to deteriorate the way it has over the last couple of years, then it's probably going to reprice much, much lower. So you certainly want to dig in and understand the dynamics there. Thanks for the call. Great question. I really like that stock. Pretty interesting one, especially in light of today's market. Now this is Invest Talk. Streaming live Monday through Friday in the 4 o'clock Pacific time hour. And it's available for free download as a condensed podcast as well. You can browse by topics at investtalk.com. And you can also download, review, and rate our podcast at Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your finance and investment questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888 99Chart. 888 chart 888 I urge you to get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, in 2020, the Dow already hit a new high, but it also was fairly volatile, and volatility was on display most of the year. But to put things in perspective, here are a few interesting statistics. Apple is now at $1.4 trillion valuation, and it's fully one-third of the Dow's gain from to the 2800 Sorry, 28,000 to 29,000. So you can see how heavy of a weight Apple has become in the Dow. And Alphabet or Google shares are up. The company has a market value of just over a trillion dollars. And the market is just getting very heavily weighted towards these large companies. You know, the Facebooks of the world, the Apples of the world, the Googles of the world, etc. Now, in less than two months, McDonald's 
shares have increased in value by 7.2% and Microsoft 8.6. So that's been three times that of the market over the past couple months. So once again, large, large companies, more money, right? More money, as money flows into index funds, more and more goes to these large companies and automatically kind of drives them higher. So pretty interesting what's happening in the market. And I think almost half of the money in the S&P 500 is now coming from index funds. When I say in the S&P 500, it means invested in the companies. Pretty wild. Now here comes another caller question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, Ben from New York, big fan of the podcast. I've called a few times. I have a question about Southwest Airlines, ticker symbol LU. V. We have uh, two positions in it. It's been going down for quite a while. It's the only thing in the airline or that sector that we have. Wondering if you think it's a good time to buy some more of it. Thanks. Love to hear your answer on the podcast. Happy New Year. All right. Looking at Southwest Airlines, an airline I use fairly often over here on the West Coast. This is a company that's not a lot of growth to it, right? Uh, revenues up in the low to mid single digits almost every quarter for the past two years. Earnings in 2018, sorry, 2019, are expected to be up four point four dollars or 3% to $4.39 a share, right? Because you haven't seen those earnings yet. They'll announce those earnings in the next month or two. And this year, earnings are supposed to go up 9%. Fairly low valuation or uh, multiples, P ratio is 12, uh, yields 1.3%. You know, we're in a time where airlines are doing very, very well, and Southwest is probably one of the best run airlines in the business. So I will say that. But I have something against airlines, and I don't know if it's because of my grandpa and he hated airlines, just to com simply because there's not a lot of differentiation in that business. It's people want to get from point A to point B, as long as it's not a terrible experience, they're typically fine with it and they want the lowest price. So, you know, if you want some exposure in this space, yes, this is the one to own. But I just don't love the industry and I don't love where we are in the cycle on it. Give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. This is Talk. Looking at the calendar, we are now less than two weeks away from Steve Peasley's Dallas, Texas consultation trip. That'll be on January 24th. And then Steve will travel to New York City for portfolio review consultations on January 28th and 29th. You can learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Justin Klein is here. He's got answers, but he's waiting for your investing questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Isaac. I'm a 20-year-old. I live by Jacksonville, Florida, and I was kind of thinking of getting into real estate investment this year. I was looking at the duplex I was planning to buy within the mid of the year or after the elections. Would it be smarter to buy that property before the elections, before that 2020 Trump win or whoever wins? Or would it be smarter to wait out the election and find out the rates then? Thank you. 
Honestly, I don't see the election as a variable really at all. I mean, unless you think that there's going to be a radical left elected, I mean, I guess that could be something that would derail the markets and the economy. I could see that being the case, right? If you if you get a radical leftist into the White House that wants to jack up corporate taxes and uh, create a lot of regulation, etc., then that's going to be bad for the economy, the markets, and, and probably real estate prices. Uh, now, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think somebody like uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, maybe Bernie, but you know, I'm thinking it's going to be probably more someone like a Biden or a Buttigieg that is the eventual nominee. Now, whether they beat Trump or not, I, I, I don't know yet. Uh, it's hard for me to, to really handicap that at this point, but I don't really think to me, that would be a big factor. It would be more about the investment itself and whether it cash flows, whether you're comfortable being a landlord, uh, what are the economic dynamics in that region, right? Or that, that county, that city, are they bullish long-term? Are they, are they positive? Or is it an area where maybe people are moving away, uh, et cetera? So a uh, good question. But I don't see that as a, a major variable that I would consider. It would just be more about timing for you personally as well as the right deal. And I always say, I've said this for a couple of years now, that it makes more sense in this market to be just patient and selective. Not to say you don't buy, not to say you shun every potential deal that might come your way. It's just about being selective and being patient. And that's uh, that's how you find good investments rather than panicking in uh, and trying to buy just to like say I own a particular uh, in investment or property, etc. Now that tubtails well with our main talking point, which is renting is more affordable than buying in almost 50% of the housing markets. And there's one thing in common typically with those markets. Now, this is a report from Adam Data Solutions, A-T-T-O-M. They found that buying in buying a medium-priced home, so your typical three-bedroom uh, single family, is more affordable than renting in only 53% of the 855 counties in the United States. That means renting in the other counties typically is more affordable. Now, what are the factors? Now, homeownership is a better deal than renting for the average wage earner in just a very slim majority of U.S. markets, which is atypical. Why? Because interest rates have fallen and owning a home can still be more a more affordable option despite the rise in, in prices. Right, so the borrowing cost is what's driving this. Now, renting, renting is generally more affordable in areas with large populations. Now, what does large population mean? Well, over a million people. In 36 of the 43 counties nationwide that had a population of 1 million or more, renting was actually more affordable than buying. These are cities like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, and even if there was over only over 500,000, about two-thirds of those counties, also it was more 
cost-effective to rent than to buy. Now, what that means is those markets are probably going to be a little constrained from a price perspective longer term. I'm talking about price of buying. Because you can't have price cost of ownership being too much higher than the cost of renting uh, long term consistently. Now, the parts of the country were that were outliers, meaning you know there was over a million people in population, but it co- it was more advantageous to buy than rent. And that was the Rust Belt and Florida. Some cities like Detroit, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, it made more sense to actually purchase than to buy from a cost perspective. Now, what were the what were the cheapest cities to rent? You're talking about. Roan County, Tennessee, which is near Knoxville, Steuben County, New York, which is about which is south of Rochester, Madison County, Alabama, which is near Huntsville. And another concerning thing is that housing prices are rising faster than rents in 67% of markets and faster than wages in 66% of markets nationwide. And we know going back to before the financial crisis that you can't have prices outpacing wages for an extended period of time. Otherwise, you run into problems. Now, in the next Invest Talk, looking ahead, our next decade will be a roaring 20s for stocks. That is one expert's opinion, predicting the economy and stocks are set to perform well for investors. Steve will tackle that tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions at 888 chart From sunrise to sunset. Hi, Steve. This is Carol in Alabama. From dusk till dawn. Hey, guys. It's Carl from Philadelphia. The questions keep coming. I had a question regarding portfolio yield. From down the street, around the corner, and across the country. Big fan of the podcast from New York here. I'm calling from the Chicagoland area. From Newport, Kentucky. Invest Talk listeners have one objective. This is Frank from the Bay Area. Financial freedom. I had a question on your opinion about this Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund. How they get there and when they get there is up to them. My question today is about diversification. But Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can help improve their strategy with unbiased investing guidance. I really thank you guys for all of your knowledge and wisdom. Listen live or download the podcast, investtalk.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Syed in New Jersey looking at Halliburton. Yes, hi Justin, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. It looks like uh, you're trying to add some oil exposure to your portfolio. Well, I had bought it uh, a few months ago. I'm a, I'm up mm-hmm. a decent twenty uh, percent on it. And um, originally, I had bought it for a you know for a long term hold. But it seems like with the oil market, um, I mean, what we have seen so far is um, they have had a few spikes. But uh, even you know after that, doesn't look like that. There's a long term, um, you know, uh, 
market or the long-term um, upside to you know to the broader oil market. So um, I'm thinking to maybe just keep it or sell it away. And I need your advice on this. Thank you. Okay. Now you're you said you bought it long, for long term, but it sounds like you're rethinking that long term perspective. Well, what was your original long term view on the stock, and and has that changed? My long term view was that um, you know Halliburton had uh, you know just this company had some you know operational issues, and uh, of course with the you know with the with the U.S. shale market struggling, it was um, it wasn't doing well. Um, so, um, you know, it had bottomed out about 16 or $18 and that's where I had picked it up. Um, and I was thinking that, you know, long term, it might be able to overcome some of those operational issues, but it doesn't seem like the broader market is, um, is going to recover. Um, and with the, with, you know, with, with oil, not being such a hot commodity nowadays, it seems like it might not even have such a you know a, a, a long-term upside to it. So yeah, in, in that regard, I'm kind of rethinking my uh, my approaching strategy. So okay, well, I don't think the market really has changed too much in just a few months. I mean, certainly we've gone up. We've had the Iran uh, issue that created geopolitical tensions and pushed oil prices. Uh, decently higher, but you're right, they're not breaking out and you're starting to see a relatively decent reversal over the past week or so uh, in oil prices. Now one thing I will say about Halliburton is it is a good company, it has long-term consistent profitability, consistent cash flow, I think that dividend is relatively safe, so I, I, I like that. Uh, and it was overbought and so you know went from $17, $18 a share in the fall of last year, all the way to almost $26 a share just a week or two ago, and now we're at $23.75. So uh, a modest pullback is certainly expected. Technically, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this recent pullback. It's still above all its major moving averages and just peaked above its 200-day moving average. And I really like that. And even if you go over to the weekly chart, the, it's now kind of trending right on that 50 day moving 50 week moving average excuse me uh, and so i like what it looks like fundamentally enterprise value to EBIT is only 7.7 uh, like you like i said pays a strong consistent dividend uh, decent debt but nothing too dramatic uh, especially with its positive cash flow so i like the name i like its its prospects uh, but you're right if oil doesn't sustainably stay above kind of $60 a barrel or so, then that's going to hurt the whole space. So I think the bigger question is, what type of exposure do you have to oil in general? Say, so do you have any other oil exposure? Oh, no, I think um, I, 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 do, I do not. Um, so Halliburton is the only okay. company I own right now. And uh, as you yeah. said, I mean, the fundamentals look good, but just the broader oil market in the in the in the condition there, so my thinking is that the uh, even in the long term, the upside might be limited. Um, yeah. Well, I think and, with the potential uh, of of, yeah. of a much weaker dollar due due to Fed policy, I could certainly see oil prices staying elevated for some time. Geopolitical risks as well, uh, and the fact that you don't have any other oil exposure, 
I, I would probably hold it. Maybe I cut back, you know, I, I don't know what percentage your overall, overall portfolio it is. Maybe it's grown, uh, maybe a little bigger than your original percentage and maybe I cut it back some at these levels. But I, I wouldn't get too bearish on the name uh, because I, I see factors that are more likely to drive, or, you know, keep oil prices around this level or a little higher than, than completely reverse. So I would hold it. Uh, maybe cut back a, a tad, take a little bit of profits, um, but the fact that you don't have any other oil exposure, I would hold it. I think it's the call said. 888.99 chart, 888.992-4278. Now we had a report this morning in regards to the U.S. federal deficit, and for the 12 months that ended in December, the our U.S. government was in the negative by a little over eight trillion dollars, not billion, I'm sorry, trillion dollars, 1.02 trillion. And this was due to tax cuts, which reduced revenue. We had a bipartisan budget deal that boosted government spending dramatically. So the federal government over that time period really was in the red to a dramatic fashion, and it exceeded a trillion dollars for the first time since 2012. Now, December was the third month in a row that the U.S.'s year-over-year deficit topped a trillion dollars. So this isn't like a one-month thing. If you go back trailing 12 months, we've been over a trillion now for three straight months. And the deficit grew 17.1% in 2019. That's compared to a 28.2% increase in 2018. So I guess the most optimistic view you could say about this is that it grew less than it did in 2018, but that's not saying a lot because the tax cuts hit in 2018, and that was a big driver of that drop in tax receipts, and uh, Trump is a big spender. Now, the small increase in the deficit was the smaller, not small, smaller increase was due to a rebound in corporate tax revenue, so that was up. Total receipts grew 5% in 2019 compared to a decline of 0.4% in 2018. Right, so corporate profits were a little better, but and, and you brought in a little more tax revenue because of it. Now, federal spending, however, rose 7.5% to $4.5 trillion last year, and that was compared to 4.4% increase in 2018. So you went from 4.4 to 7.5% increase. So total federal spending went to $4.2 trillion, sorry, four point from 4.2. What does that mean for deficits as a share of the U.S. economy? That totaled 4.7% compared to 4.2%. So the deficit as a percentage of the total GDP also grew. So it's a good example of, yes, the economy, what, it grow 2.5% maybe for the year? I don't know the exact number. It certainly wasn't over 3. But our deficit increased as a percentage of GDP by 4.7. So the reason our economy is expanding is because deficits or spending is increasing in as a percentage share of GDP. And you just look at that yourself. If you started doing that, right? You started to increase your spending by 4.7%, but your revenue, your earnings only grew a couple of percent. What's that going to do to your finances long term? And that's kind of where we're at as a as a country. 
Now, the government is expected to borrow more than a trillion dollars for the second straight year this year. Why? Because of higher military spending as well as health care costs as baby boomers retire. Now, the budget gap widened 12% to $357 billion in the first quarter of fiscal 2020. Remember, for the government, federal government, fiscal the fiscal year actually starts in basically the fourth quarter of the previous year. So in that quarter, outlays rose 7% and federal receipts were up 5%. So it's not getting better. Annual deficits are projected to more than double as a share of the economy over the coming decades because of baby boomers retiring as well as increase in spending kind of across the board. So sorry to say, our government is not in a good fiscal situation. It's why we have the repo problem. It's why the Fed is printing money. We are now in the monetization of our debt phase of our government finances. And we all knew we were going to get here. I don't think we ever thought we were going to get here this quickly, though. And that's what's most interesting to me. So while Trump economy is growing, it's definitely on the back of a lot of debt. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. 2019 was a very good year for us at Invest Talk and KPP Financial. For the record, we do keep track of our downloads. Happens automatically. Our system does it. And in total, we have exceeded 19.5 million downloads. And Steve and I thank you for that. And please be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk. And of course, you can call our anytime listener line, leave your investment or market questions, and we'll answer them on the radio show and podcast on a future date. But you can also reach out to myself or Steve through investtalk.com or by calling our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California. And for now, our phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve. Hey, Justin. This is Jason calling from Jacksonville, Florida. Huge fan of the show. Thank you for everything that you guys do. Wanted to get two questions to you real quick. Looking to diversify my portfolio a bit, and I like picking the big blue chip leaders in each industry if I'm looking for them. But for this year, is there one sector that maybe we can look in more than other sectors that you think will kind of outperform? I know you can't make recommendations on the show, but at least where should we look this year? off of top of your head. And then second part I wanted to ask is last year we had the death cross between the 10 year and the two year. And we've never had, we've had a recession every time that has happened, but things to kind of seem to be on the up and up right now. And it seems like that's kind of just been forgotten about. So would you still have any concern of a pending recession with that death cross that happened? 
So wanted to get your two thoughts on those. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Love the show. Can't wait to hear your answers. Bye. All right, great questions. And I'll start with the the recession. And I think what he's talking about is the two and 10-year treasury yields inverting, meaning the 10-year yielded less than the two-year. Uh, that's a yield inversion. And typically when that happens, there is a recession within you know, 18, 24 months or so. And we're kind of within that first 12 months. Um, but typically in the past, you've seen the Fed kind of ignore that situation and allow it to persist for an extended period of time. And what you've seen is a drastic pivot, a very drastic, there's no other way to classify what the Fed has done in a year, which is go from projecting two more rate hikes in 2019 to cutting three times and instituting QE once again in the fourth quarter because of the repo issue. So, that liquidity injection uh, is likely to push off a recession, I think, for at least a little while. I know there's certainly shocks that could happen and other factors that, that make a recession more likely. Um, but if the Fed keeps printing $100 billion a month, which is roughly what the deficit is, right? You're talking about a trillion-dollar deficit. You round, You divide that by... 12, you're talking 85-ish billion dollars every single month that we're in the red on average. So the Fed is now monetizing that in a consistent fashion. And as long as they keep doing that, you know the liquidity situation is going to remain, remain, remain decent. Now, uh, it's likely to drive down the dollar over the long term if they can continue with that, which should probably drive inflation uh, and and that would be an issue, um, but that might be also a few couple years off as well to where it's a big worry. So, to answer your other part of the question, if you're looking at a particular sector, I actually like industrials. Uh, I like industrials because of the high level of skill in our industrial economy in relation to most of the world, you know, outside of Germany. You have a president who is, as an administration that likes to reduce regulation, is more business friendly, uh, and as the economy, if the economy remains decent, which probably will, especially with tr you know spending Trump in the White House, you're have a, a better chance of him getting reelected than not. Whether you love him or hate him, that's just the the lay of the land. Not only that, but I see more potential onshore because of weaker dollar, because of geopolitical situation, because of what's happening in China. I see more of our, more business coming back to America than being sent overseas again. So that's just my sense of it. And if I'm picking one sector, that's the one I would be in this year. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And as always, our work continues after our final break. So if you're going to call, you need to do it right now at 888 chart
On the next Invest Talk, looking ahead, our new decade will be a roaring 20s for stocks. That's the opinion of one expert who is predicting that the economy and stocks are set to perform well for investors. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I'm calling from 1220 KDOW. My question is about Schlumberger. I was wondering whether Schlumberger is a domestic corporation or an international corporation. I was thinking of adding Schlumberger to my portfolio, but I was just wondering, is it a company you would like to add to your portfolio? Thanks. Bye. Well, this is an easy answer, and the answer is yes, because we have added to uh, many of our client portfolios over the past uh, few months. Uh, this is now trading at 3923 at the close today. We bought it from most clients in the low to, to mid 30s in, I think it was October, November time frame. Don't quote me on that, but something around there. I forget the exact date. But this is a $54 billion market cap company, and it is located or headquartered in Houston, Texas. And so it is a domestic company, but they certainly have business all around the world. Uh, they're, they're very large. And yeah, they're very large, and so they're very diversified globally. And uh, I was—I couldn't say this before with the last caller that called in just a, a few minutes ago about Halliburton, but they're very similar companies, right? They're both in the oil field service business, competitors to a large degree, but Schlumberger is bigger. Sorry, that's a $54 billion market cap, yeah, on Schlumberger, whereas Halliburton's around 20. Uh, but Schlumberger just is a seems to be a better business, better profitability, better cash flow, less debt in its balance sheet in relation to its revenue and size. Uh, and, and I just think it's a, it's a better business. It's, it's dividend is, is higher and I think more sustainable, uh, 5%, 5.1% dividend. Uh, so if I'm getting exposure to the oil space, I'm not going to say it's my favorite name, but it's in our top five. So uh, I like Schlumberger and if you have little or no exposure to the oil patch, you could certainly do much, much worse than owning a Schlumberger uh, in the near term or long term. So great question. That was SLB Schlumberger. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now let's touch lastly on the Federal Reserve and whether what their path is likely to be for the rest of the year. Now, officials we're in broad agreement generally that interest rates are unlikely to change soon. However, some were considered or considering the possibility that policy is developing financial risks that could be a problem down the line. Most particularly, Fed President Rosengren, Eric Rosengren, He's from the Boston Fed, and he's kind of a hawk. So he argued today that central banks need to stay on the guard with both inflation surprises as well as the possibility that continued cheap borrowing costs could overinflate asset values, particularly in real estate, and set the stage for a collapse. It's not really really a shock or shouldn't shock anybody that that is his opinion because he's a hawk, but also because it's 
fairly obvious. You've seen this in the past, uh, and so clearly he's one that recognizes this. Now, central bankers in general do not have much historical experience with these extended periods where interest rates are running below kind of equilibrium levels, while unemployment rates are simultaneously at historical lows. That's what Rosengren is saying. So he wants to be on alert for potential rising risks and dangers that are involved with low interest rates. But it's hard in to look too far in the future. Right? Because problems in the financial system typically crop up unexpectedly or quickly. Think of the repo market. Right? You've seen these hiccups every once in a while, but there's not a lot of warning that these are, that they're going to happen. And so central banks have been kind of playing whack-a-mole. And their way of playing whack-a-mole with the financial system is just print more money. And that's what they've done. So it's unlikely that they're going to raise rates this year uh, or lower rates. But it's all about what that policy is in relation to the repo market. And that's what the market will react to. And I think that's what you're going to hear about over the coming few months. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve will be here tomorrow and I'll return on Thursday. Please remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And be sure to listen, review, and rate. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.